0: Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in central Illinois, join us Monday night's ISU's campus. We'd love to see you there. To start off, say this with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. So I'm clearly not Ben Miller. Um, my name is Alex Musselman. And I get the privilege. Thank you. Um, I get the privilege of talking to you about this uh, a little bit. Uh, We'll be talking through and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And part of that means that I get to tell you that you have been lied to. That's the glorious job I get tonight. Um, You have been lied to. You've been lied to a lot um, and in a lot of specific ways. And we'll talk about a couple of those tonight. Before we get into that, I need to tell you a little bit about me. Um, so I'm getting married in 40 days. Um, Kayla Hogan is going to become Kayla Musselman, so that's pretty exciting. Um, so that's, that's crazy. Um, it's coming up very quick, um, but things weren't always this great for me. Um, I wasn't always involved in the church, and I was often uh, calling myself an atheist. In fact, for the first 18 years of my life, I grew up not attending church whatsoever. Um, My parents began to separate when I was in eighth grade, and that accelerated throughout my time in high school. And I constantly, constantly was in relationships. There wasn't a month or two time span where I wasn't pursuing somebody else or dating somebody. Um, All of those relationships culminated with the final person that I dated in high school. Um, She, funny enough, got married like a month and a half ago, so God's doing great things there. Um, But we were not so Christ-like in high school. Um, Our relationship, a year and a half about it was, um, ended shortly before I came to school. She was a Christian, her family were Christians, and so as my family separated... It felt great to go and be loved by these people who actually knew what love was. And so even though we broke up, that spoke to me a lot. She actually followed through on her convictions. She listened to God when God told her through the Bible, this man isn't a Christian, you shouldn't be dating her. The greatest witness in my life up until this point was her breaking up with me. It's not a glorious story, but it's the one God has written with me. And she uh, stopped living in the lies that Satan was telling her through me. Um, I would tell her, We don't need to worry about this boundary. We don't need to wait until this. We can get married. You don't actually need a Christian. Um, You just need somebody who loves you. And it's hard to actually love fully if you're not rooted in Christ. So she listened uh, to God. She broke up with me, broke up with the lie. Um, And that'll lead us into something that I'm pretty passionate about, uh, lies. Um, Not that I tell them often. Um, I don't. I try to repent. Um, But I'm really passionate about these popular phrases that are actually misrepresentations of reality. I'll give you a softball at first. You are what you eat. Well, last time I checked, I'm not a potato. Um, You're not a french fry. There's no pasta sitting in front of me today. Um, I know there was a pizza out there earlier, but you aren't the pizza. Um, Another example is everything in moderation. I don't need to tell you that you shouldn't do everything in moderation. We would be doing all sorts of silly things, jumping off roofs, um, murder, and everything in between. We don't need to do everything in moderation. It just doesn't work. Another one is that, uh, and this one is a little bit more serious and perhaps a bit controversial, the statement, there is no truth. Um, If somebody says that to you, you can just ask them, is that true? They're saying it's true that there is no truth. So that also doesn't really work. Last one before we jump into our text for tonight is that fear is bad. Fear can be bad. Um, but fear often drives us away from things that would hurt us. It keeps us from walking too close to a ledge. If I fall off of this, especially for those of you who know me, I might not survive. <laughs> um, I know this is this is maybe not this isn 't even as tall as I am, but i 'm too frail for that so imagine hundreds hundreds of feet um, underneath me and the, the, a rock face a straight falling down, it's fear that keeps me from getting too close. It's fear that keeps me back here saying, I don't want to get too close to that because I might fall. So that brings us into the specific lie that we'll uh, talk about for a lot of tonight. Um, if everybody could put your hands up for just a moment, just one hand, and keep your hand up If you've ever heard or said, God will never give you more than you can handle. If you've ever heard it or said it. You've all been lied to. (laughs) Me too. And I've said it. You can put your hands down. Um, But haven't you felt like you've had more than you can handle? Do you feel right now like you have more than you can handle? There's only a couple weeks left in the semester Uh, You've got projects, you've got papers, you've got final tests. It feels like more is riding on the line than ever. Don't you feel like you have more than you can handle? For those of you who've got it all together, maybe check yourself, take a step back, and look at all that life has given you, all that God has given you, and ask if your two hands are enough to handle it. But where does this lie come from? Well, it's a misrepresentation of this text. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 14 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. That just means careful or you'll fall, like me off the edge of the stage. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Do you feel the disconnect between the phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle, and this? They're not the same at all. In fact, we're often given more than we can handle. That's the way that God works. We're given more than we can handle. We step up to the plate, and we still miss. But God still works through that. Um, If you ever are thinking that you've been given only the amount that you can handle, it's probably not entirely accurate. Um, of the 12 apostles, for example, if the phrase were true that you've only been given or that God only gives us as much as we can handle, um, why were all the apostles martyred? Um, they didn't die glorious, uh, or natural deaths. They died unnatural deaths. Um, we have, just to make sure I get it right, uh, Paul beheaded, Peter, Philip, and Andrew and others crucified, Thomas pierced by the spears of soldiers, Matthew killed by a king's decree, others burned alive, stoned, and clubbed to death. Which one sounds like the lie? You'll never be given more than you can handle, or I will take this to my grave. Would they take it to their grave if it was a lie? No. So Satan constantly is telling us lies, and we should not entertain them. Um, He tells us things all the time to get us to a place that we feel okay, um, but we're actually not. He tells us that sin is okay. In fact, sometimes it's good or it's not sin. Um, he tells us we're actually not loved, we're not worthy, um, but none of those are true. So these are Satan's parts in temptation. The first one we already talked about lies. second thing is that he himself does the tempting of us. Now, he's not the only one that tempts, um, but we uh, have seen him tempt people over and over. We've been tempted ourselves, and he has even tempted Jesus. Hebrews four fifteen through 16 says, for, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Satan is the tempter. Jesus has been tempted. He experienced it like you and I do, um, but kind of to the extreme. He was brought out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, completely fasted, and at the end of it, Satan was dangling food and power and the world in front of him and said, Jesus, give in. Jesus did not give in, and I'm very thankful. Um, Jesus' divine is not tempted, but he's got two natures, his divine and his human nature. His human nature, his flesh, wanted those things, but his non-human nature wouldn't allow him. If temptation itself is sinful, then that would have been Jesus sinning. But it's not sinful. Jesus didn't sin. And we can rest in that fact for our own lives as well. Last thing that he does is he devours. Um, Satan is waiting, and he's trying to devour us. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Satan is seeking to devour you. He's seeking to devour me. He wants to devour Kayla and I in our marriage. He wants to make us obsessed with each other and not with God. Satan wants us to constantly be experiencing and routinely giving in to temptation. That's Satan's desire for us. And he's prowling around like a lion waiting for every opportunity to bring about death. This is why Jesus tells us that we should be praying to be spared from situations in which we might experience temptation. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Let's pause for a second. It says, God cannot be tempted with evil, yet we just talked about how Jesus was tempted. Was Jesus tempted with evil? Well, Not necessarily. It's possible, but we know that Jesus was fasting for 40 days. If you were fasting from food for 40 days, being tempted with bread, bread is not evil. (laughs) Food is good. Food will nourish you. Food will keep you alive. Um, Jesus himself was not itching to do evil, though his flesh was in need. Satan, trying to lie to us, to tempt us and devour us, He tried that with Jesus, and it didn't work. It doesn't have to work with us. Uh, This passage, though, also informs us that Satan isn't the only thing that tempts us. Satan tempts us, absolutely. We tempt ourselves, and we tempt others, and are lured by our own desires. Our desires for good, um, Satan perverts the good. You want peace? Absolutely. That's a grand desire. Peace is a gift from God. But Satan uses that good desire for peace to avoid conflict and drive wedges between people. You want intimacy? Absolutely. It's beautiful. Seek it. You should have it with friends and in marital relationships. But Satan uses this to make us feel alone and drive us to sin. Your phone is not intimate with you. It feels like it is, but it isn't. That person on the other side of the screen, on the other side of the phone call, this other addiction, this alcohol, these other things, they're not intimate with you. They are simply mimicking the good gifts that God gives us. So what are we supposed to do about this? Well, before we go into our parts, I have to give you guys a bit of a disclaimer. This is coming from Matthew 18, verses 6 through 9 which says, But whoever causes one of these little ones, talking about humble believers, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptations come. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. That is a pretty staunch warning. (laughs) It's very aggressive. Jesus isn't playing around here. Um, if we lead others into temptation, he says it would be better for us to have a millstone tied around our neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Do you guys know what a millstone is? If I were to have one here on stage with me, it would be about this tall, about this thick, so it would be standing about here, about this thick, and it would be solid stone with a hole in the middle. Um, these things were meant to grind stone um, for the, the last couple thousand years, and so they were heavy, and they would be ground up against each other. You'd have two of them. One would spin on top, one on bottom, um, but this stone would weigh tons. Can you swim against that? <laughs> I can't. Some of you may try to take it on, but I, I can't do it. Um, it's a very strong uh, warning against tempting others. What does tempting others look like? Well, I don't want to get too far into this rabbit hole, um, but you can tempt others with social media posts, um, with your words, with your actions. Um, Have an open mind and heart. That's a combination word in case you didn't know. Um, Have an open mind, have an open heart to what others may tell you is tempting them, and be humble enough to listen and maybe change your behavior. Um, What else is in here, though, is that we should set up guardrails and barriers. Jesus tells us to cut off our hands, cut off our feet, gouge out our eyes. I don't want any one of you here to actually do that. But what Jesus is saying here, he's giving a, a hyperbolic example. He's exaggerating to say that if something causes you to sin, you would be so much better without it, better to enter life without the thing that causes you to sin, better to live life without the thing that causes you to sin than to live it with the thing that causes you to sin. Because if you do that, it leads to death. So about the things that we need to do uh, regarding temptation, we're going to talk about before, during, and after. So before, like I just said, set up those guardrails, set up those barriers. If you can remember, we just talked about um, Satan being a lion, prowling around waiting to devour you. If there was a lion here next to me on stage, it would break out into all mayhem. I would surely die, and a number of you might try to save me. Bless your heart. Um, But you would probably die also. And we would run kicking and screaming out of this building as fast as we possibly could. There's no guardrails there. I'm not safe. I'm standing right next to the thing that's going to devour me. But if there's a giant pit, if there's you know, four feet thick glass wall between me and this lion, there's guardrails. I'm not going to fall into that temptation. This lion isn't going to devour me. I'm not going to die. What do those guardrails look like in our lives? Well, if you're experiencing temptation with your phone... Try putting your phone farther away from you. A lot of us experience that specifically at night. We'll be laying in bed, watching a video on our phone. We see one advertisement after another, after another, and eventually we don't even know how we've done it, but there we are again, falling into temptation. Try putting that phone on the opposite side of the room before you go to bed. Might be hard to get to sleep for a couple nights. If that doesn't work, put it even farther give it to a friend, limit your access completely. There are guardrails that you can set, and if that doesn't work for you, push the boundary back a little bit farther, remove yourself from the lion, and watch God work. During, we can flee. If you'll notice in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, it said to flee. Um, In all these verses, it says to flee from sin, flee from idolatry, So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Uh, Flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. We can't win this fight. (laughs) We need to flee because white knuckling doesn't work. You know what white-knuckling is? I, I didn't know it until I was doing it, and my dad t- yelled at me to stop. Um, I was driving from here uh, to Wisconsin on a, a skiing trip in the middle of December when I first got my driver's permit. And I, it, it was the middle of a snowstorm, and I was just sitting here driving like this. And he had the audacity to tell me to stop white-knuckling it, and I couldn't see 20 feet ahead of me. <laughs> well, if I was more relaxed, it would have been more safe for us. Um, But that's what this is speaking against. You can't white-knuckle it. What does white-knuckling look like in the the ring of a lion? Well, if that lion's here, and I try to fist-fight it, I am going to lose. You are going to lose. We can't fight that lion. White-knuckling against temptation looks like trying to fist-fight a lion. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. What we actually need to do is to break isolation break isolation one of Satan's greatest desires is to make us feel alone especially in a room full of other believers if I know anything about the people in this room if you're experiencing a sin if you're experiencing a temptation you aren't alone we were told earlier that you're not experiencing any temptation that isn't common to man and that Jesus also hasn't experienced we've all experienced them Jesus experienced them You are not alone. Isolated Christians are defeated Christians. That's from a book uh, called Living Free. Um, We've been going through a sexual integrity curriculum this semester with a bunch of people. Um, It's been a great time, uh, and they're very wise. And they said the phrase, isolated Christians are defeated Christians. That's Living Free from Pure Desire Ministries. Basically just pointing out that if you try to go it alone, you will lose. It's an uphill battle, and you cannot win it. What does that battle look like? Well, it can look like this. This is the Testuda Formation. Uh, This is from ancient Roman uh, warriors um, from between the 5th century and the 15th century. Um, As you can see... Everybody's lined up here with shields, and you've got three people behind the front people also holding shields overhead. They would do this when they're approaching an enemy stronghold, and there's heavy arrow fire coming down upon them. If I was just one person holding a shield, you know, we could get shot from above. I have no cover. It's not going to work. But instead, if I'm this guy in the middle, and I have three people on either side of me and three people behind me, covering my front, my side, my back, my, my head, we can actually confront the battle and win. Similarly, with the lion, if I'm falling into a den, if I'm nearby, if there are people who are better equipped or more people than the lion, I actually have a chance of surviving, you know, if people bring guns to the fight and so on. As Christians, we don't need to fight fair with Satan. We are given things so that we don't need to fight fair. We have community. We have each other. We have the truth of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. We're not alone. This is what a Christian community looks like gathering around its people that are suffering from temptation and suffering from sexual sin and other addictions. Are you willing to ask for this help? Are you willing to give this help? People in here need it. Sometimes I need it. This is what we need. And as far as after goes, we get back to the before section where we are set up from those barriers. We're breaking isolation. We're not entertaining the temptation. And also, we need to rest in the Lord. Go back to before and rest in the Lord. Well, what does the Lord do with temptation. This is the good part. He gives us grace. He gives us grace. Hebrews four fifteen through 16, we talked through earlier. Verse 16 um, says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. I don't know about you guys, but my time of need is always. And it says to draw with confidence near to the throne. Can you walk up to the God of the universe with confidence? What an intimidating thing to do. Jesus, who has the power to die for and forgive all sin, God, who is the author of everything, wants you to walk up to him with confidence and ask for grace. Why can we do that? Because even in our sin, God does good. God uses our sin, uses our temptation for good. Romans eight twenty eight. that's a good one to write down, says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. If you're a follower of Christ, or potentially going to become one, this is a promise for you. God will work all things together for the good of those who love God. He did this with the resurrection. What is the death of Jesus except for the greatest triumph of Satan? Yet it's that very thing that God can turn around and use to save every single one of us. This has happened with my life as well. Um, It's not exactly as glorious as the resurrection, but I do know it personally. Do you guys remember that person that I talked about dating from high school earlier? Um, well, after she broke up with me, a couple months later, I came to school here as a freshman at ISU. This was 2018, dating myself a little bit. Um, back then, they used to do this thing at the end of welcome week where uh, you would get together with all the freshman incoming students of your major and the head of your department. I don't know if they still do this anymore, pre-COVID, post-COVID, um, but it was a lecture hall of about 300 people and the department of the head just telling us random tidbits of information that weren't helpful for us at all. Um, I walked into that room a little bit late, and uh, so a lot of seats were taken. I was scanning the room and I saw somebody that reminded me of that ex, physically. I was lusting after her. And so I chose to sit next to her. I thought, well, this could be the next girl. She wasn't. Um, and I'm thankful, but God still used that terrible decision, that lustful decision, that lustful action for good. Here's how it happened. That person that I sat down next to and that I flirted with and talked to introduced me to her friend. That person introduced me to another friend, and that friend said, hey, I've got some people that are coming to play volleyball at, uh, what is it, Tri Towers? Um, and so I was like, shoot, I like sports. I'm going to go play volleyball. So I went. And there, after we played volleyball for about two hours, uh, a lot of people were asking or saying things about food. So I kind of spoke up a little bit, and I was like, I feel like I heard free food. Does anybody want to give me free food? And so somebody said, yeah, come along. We're getting free food. And I piled into a, a four-door sedan, me and seven other people. Um, <laughs> And we drove less than a mile away uh, to go get free food, and that free food was at the campus house. It was about 24 hours between when I sat down next to that girl and when I was in that campus house. Within 24 hours, God used my lustful decision to get me into a community where people love him and will love me. God's done this with my life, and he's done it over and over and over again since then. He's done it with your life too. If you don't see it, open your eyes and ask him. He will. He will bring us to this last point of deliverance. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. Y'all, even in our temptation, this is the promise that we have that God will deliver us, that Jesus has paid the fine. You can't pay the fine on on your own. Imagine walking into court and and the judge has a stack of of fines that you are righteously due to pay and you say, well, I helped this old lady cross the street and I won't speed again, so can we just forget about all these? He said, no, you are due to pay your fines just like I did and just like everybody else. You are no better than the person next to you and the next person in line. But if somebody comes along and pays those speeding tickets, pays those fines, you can be let go scot-free. That's exactly what Jesus has done for you and for me. It's there as a free gift for us to accept. So even in the depth of our temptation, Jesus Is there to rescue us? Jesus gives us grace. He does good things with our temptation and He delivers us from evil. To God, you are worthy. You are worthy of the sacrifice of His only Son. You're worthy of the sacrifice of His only Son. I'll say it one more time. You are worthy of the sacrifice of God's only Son. You're worthy of the cost. Do you live your life like that? Do you live your life knowing that the person next to you is worthy of the sun? Tonight, as we transition into worship again, um, I want us to rest a little bit in that good news. If you look underneath you, uh, underneath your chairs, there's a little half sheet. This paper contains truths that God says about who you are. If you're a follower of Christ, this is who God says that you are. And even if you're not a follower of Christ, this is who God says that you can be and who you are. As we get back into worship, read through these points. Read through who God says you are and the scripture attached. And ask yourself, do you believe these? Are there some that you struggle with? Are there some that come easy? If there are ones that are difficult... Perhaps spend some time meditating in in the truth of those and asking God in prayer, why is this difficult for me to accept? I want this to be uh, a a part of uh, encouragement, a part of challenge, and a part of praise. Um, So as we get into worship, meditate on the truth of who God says you are. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.